Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, let's get into the Word. Now, I want to to read a verse here. James chapter 5. Look at James chapter 5. Look at verse, verse... 16. I, I thought it was good. Six. Boy, I, I just seriously, I, I need to give you a disclaimer right now. My, my, I've never had this happen on a fast, but my mind is so fuzzy. Uh, I've had a hard time finding words. And so just bear with me. Uh, last night after the prayer meeting, everyone was gone. I actually went to the keypad to punch in the code, turn on the alarm. And I could not remember the code. I've used that code for years. So I had to text Laura. Laura, could you send me the code? She sent it to me, and I punched, I couldn't remember how to punch it in. So I actually, I called her. I said, can I call you? And she said, sure. And I said, how do I do this? And uh, that is just weird. And uh, I'm physically fine. I just need some protein. I, I, you know, vegetarianism would not help me right now. I need some meat. So, yes, Sundays are coming. Hallelujah. That's a new take on that phrase. So just bear with me this morning, if you would. Okay, Uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, that's a wonderful verse, but listen to what it says after that. The the last part of this verse is what I want to focus on this morning. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's the NIV. What do we have up here? It's powerful and effective. How many of you are familiar with the King James Version on that verse? I usually read out of the NIV, but I was raised in the King James, so I always have that in the back of my mind. The King James Version says it this way. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You could reframe that to say this. When righteous men pray with passion or fervency, it is very effective or the power of God is released. Let me say that again. When a righteous man, when someone who is living righteously prays with passion, fervency, the power of God is released or it is very effective. Now, you look at these two verses, the NIV and the King James Version, the ESV and a number of others. There's there's a discrepancy on this word, uh, this this word effectual and fervency being together. And it's because of the tense. One, I I don't understand this, okay? uh, I'm just going to tell you what it is. You can search it out on your own. It's the difference between the passive and the middle tense. And so whereas the NIV takes it as the passive tense... The King James Version takes it as the middle tense. And that's what I believe is right. I believe that's correct. And I'll tell you why. I'll I'll lead you to another verse. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Okay? Hebrews chapter 5. And this is what I want to focus on this morning. We're going to do a little review on what we talked about last week. But I want to tie this together because this is... This is an essential principle of prayer, but all too often an overlooked element of prayer. How many of you want to have effective prayer? I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go without Big Macs, if I'm going to go without burritos, if I'm going to go, I'll stop. But if I'm going to go without food, I want it to matter. I'm not on a diet. Okay, I'm I'm contending with God for breakthrough. 
But James gives us in that verse two secrets to having our prayer release the power of God. Two secrets to being effective in what we're asking for. The fact is, you can pray and fast with your mouth and cancel it out with the absence of these two other elements. So we need to understand this. So we have Hebrews chapter 5. Listen to what it said. I mean, he, yeah, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, you'll hear me quote this many times during my preaching. This is one of the primary ver- go-to verses you will hear me refer to from time to time. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So in this verse, we have those two elements that James covers. James says it this way, the effective prayer, the effectual, the effective prayer of a righteous man The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. So the fervency and the righteousness of that man matters. Your lifestyle, how you live your life, the holiness that you walk in. I'm not talking about legalistic holiness. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, ladies, you can't wear pants and and men, you got to, you know, you got to comb your hair on the side and there's no jewelry. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about holiness as in Living pure before God, not allowing besetting sin to get, uh, take root in your life. And if you begin to struggle, you go to somebody and you tell them, hey, I'm, I'm struggling in my life and I don't want this. I want to live in holiness before God. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So the two principles are righteousness and fervency or purity of heart and passion. Those two elements are often overlooked uh, elements of effective prayer. Now, last week, if you were here, we talked a lot about this thing of, uh, of righteousness. We, we really hammered on that. We did a theology of prayer, kind of a little, it was a little condensed school of prayer in one message. And uh, my mind was fuzzy that and I I went into one whole illustration had nothing to do with what we're talking about. But uh, hopefully the message got across. And what we were looking at is is the passage in Hebrews chapter two. And in Hebrews chapter two, he says this. What is man? He's quoting Psalm eight. What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that you would visit him. You made him a little lower than the angels and you put everything under his feet. That is a direct quote from Psalm chapter eight. And then he ventures off the path of Psalms chapter 8 and makes a comment as a New Testament writer on this Old Testament passage saying this. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. And so we talked about the necessity of a biblical cosmology or a biblical framework in which... Uh, it's, it's a picture of how things work. God created a cosmology. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, the rules of how creation works. He built it that way. And that is the context in which we pray. If we misunderstand the context, then we can render render ourselves ineffective. 
And so we talked about how Psalm chapter 8 says this, What is man that thou art mindful of the Son of Man you would visit? And we made him a little lower than the angels, put everything under his feet. So that is point one, creation. God placed everything under man's feet in the earth. We are the authoritative voice in the earth. God has granted you authority. It is an awesome, even fearful thing. That God has granted you the authority over your life and the spheres over which you influence. And you decide the activity. You say, well, man, I feel like, I don't feel like that's happening in my life. I feel like more of a victim of circumstance than the Lord over those circumstances. That is because you do not understand your authority and you may or may not be missing these two elements. Because God has given you this tremendous weapon called prayer with which you can use to go to war and change the circumstances in your life. So God put everything under man's feet. That is creation. Number two is when he gets off the beaten path of Psalm chapter 8. And he says this, yet at present we don't see everything subject to him. Why would the, the writer to the Hebrews say that? Because the first, Psalm chapter 8 is talking about creation, our God-given authority. The next comment is talking about the devastation of the fall. We abdicated our authority through sin and we gave it away. And rather than being the ruler over our own life and the king of our life, because he is the king of kings and we lay our crown before him. But just as the ancient world, there was an emperor who was the king of kings, he would have vassal kings that he would delegate to, like Herod was a vassal king to Caesar. He would give him delegated authority to rule that patch of ground for Rome. You and I are kings and priests, and God has given you the authority over your own life. And so, but in through sin, we gave that away. We squandered our authority. And now we, because of sin, we became in bondage to sin. And rather than our wills manifesting the kingdom of God, God's ideals, his commands, his value system, his heart, our will began to manifest the kingdom of darkness, hell's value system, hell's mindset. Then it says this, the next thing it says in Hebrews chapter 2, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. Glory to God. Because really what this is, is this passage, this short little passage in Hebrews chapter 2, is really a teaching on redemptive history. It's a, it's a big, big picture span, span over redemptive history. We have creation, we have the devastation of the fall, and then we have redemption. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. Matter of fact, Hebrews, I mean Ephesians chapter 1, the last two verses of that passage say this, that God has put everything under Jesus' feet, comma, for the church. So Jesus, through redemption, came into this fallen world as an unfallen man and began to unravel everything the enemy did. He began to come in and just dismantle darkness. And then he gave his life on the cross. And so doing in the grand exchange, you and I were made righteous and in him are restored to our original position. You have authority. You are not a victim of circumstance. 
And you need to exercise that authority to change affairs. You are heaven's envoy. You are an ambassador from another kingdom. You live in this world and God wants to use you to press the crown rights of King Jesus on every facet of your life and on this, the, on this earth. And we do that. One of the primary ways we do that, it's not the only way, but one of the, the primary, prob- probably the primary way is through prayer, through intercession. We rule and reign from the height of a bended knee. We change human affairs through intercession and fasting. And so we see this redemptive history. Now, last week we, we really focused on why our will matters. And we talked about how uh, a yielded life to God is the conduit through which God moves. You can pray prayers with your mouth, but if you're living contrary to your own prayers, you cancel with your mouth what you, or with your life what you prayed with your mouth. That's why we cry out, God, sin revival! And God said, okay, I'm going to start with your marriage. Quit being cantankerous towards your wife. We're like, whoa, 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 God. You know, I, I was talking about out there, you know, at church or, you know, at my job. But you're getting meddling a little bit here, talking about how I talk to my wife. And the fact is, revival begins in you and exudes from you to your closest relationships and then emanates from there. What God is looking for is one man or one woman whom he can align with himself that will become the beachhead for his invasion in planet Earth. When the Allied forces invaded France, they had a well-planned invasion along the coast there on, on these multiple beaches, Omaha Beach and so forth. And they understood it was going to be expensive in the form of human life. Tremendously expensive. We owe our freedom to those men, many 18, 19, 20 year old boys who died so that you can, you and I can enjoy what we have. But they calculated the risk and the general said it's going to be worth it. Because if we can, if we can secure a beachhead, then from there the invasion begins. And even Hitler knew once they got the beach, it was all over except for the the battles for cleanup. Now, the fact is, the most fierce battles, the bloodiest battles, the costliest battles were yet to be fought. The Battle of the Bulge and so forth. But they knew, the Allied forces understood that if we can get the beach, they knew this war is coming to a close. The kingdom of heaven is looking for a surrendered human heart. Somebody that carries God's burden. That if your, if the burden that you carry begins to change you, only then will it begin to change the world. Amen. But if you can, if you can carry a casual burden for change, your casual burden will not change anything. Until it begins to rearrange your life. The Lord spoke to me very clearly when I first became the pastor of this church. He said, Dave, if your vision for this church doesn't change you, don't expect it to change anybody else. If it doesn't cause you to get up earlier and stay up late and sacrifice and fast and contend with me, don't expect anybody else to have that in their heart. I'm not saying that God can't do a work outside of the pastor. I just know he was talking to me. 
Our burden has to start with us. And it rearranges us. And so these seasons of fasting and prayer are seasons in which God begins to reach in, put His finger on things in our heart, and adjust us and align us for his, with His will. He's looking for somebody on planet Earth to become the threshold through which He can enter. And all He's looking for is a righteous person who erupts with great passion Because they understand the power of prayer. And God will release his power through their mouth into the earth and begin to change human affairs. So, back to our passages this morning. Last week we really talked about this righteousness thing. What I want to look at this morning is more the passion thing. It says here in James, and again, there's a discrepancy among translators. Is it the, you know, uh, if we could put that NIV back up there, the the effective prayer, the the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. I mean, that's good. That's good preaching. That's good news. But I side with the the, uh, the, the middle tense of the King James. Because it coincides with what Hebrews chapter 5 is telling us. It brings out the two elements of Jesus' prayer. With loud cries and petitions, Jesus made his requests known unto God. Now, the fact is, you can pray passionately. But if you're missing that other element, you're living an unsurrendered life. You will cancel out your own prayers. Now, understand, I'm not, I'm not preaching perfection. I'm not saying that that you have to be perfect and and uh, there's, you know, if that's the case then we're all we're all toast. What I am talking about is that if you're spurning God's dealings, if you're you're willingly ignoring the teaching of scripture, that you're comfortable in these areas of rebellion and failure. If you just take it, if you just sign it off as, well, God's, God has grace on me, it's okay, you know, He forgives, then I'm telling you, I'm not saying you're going to miss heaven. I'm not saying you're not. That's for another day. But I am telling you this, you will undermine the effectiveness of your prayer. But we have those two elements in Hebrews chapter 5. It says that with loud cries and petitions, Jesus made his requests known. There was passion in his prayer. There wasn't a passivity. It wasn't a casual uh, engagement. It wasn't, hey God, if you could do this, you know, it'd be good. You know, I'm just kind of hoping that that would happen. There was an engagement of his heart. What he was doing is he was putting his human will behind this thing and pushing. He was crying out to God. And it says he was heard because of or the cause of his hearing before the throne. The cause of him being heard before the throne was what? His reverent submission. His, al- his life was in line with the Father. That's why I believe James... I believe the middle tense is the accurate translation. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Your prayer will be effective 
if you are righteous and you pray with fervency. So where does that leave us? Does that mean we just stay out of the prayer closet until we get things worked out in our life? Absolutely not. I'm telling you, the only way to get things worked out in your life is get in the prayer closet. We need to engage heaven. We need to get alone with God. We need to ask him to deal with our hearts. But it's in that place where God begins to deal with us. And when he begins to put his finger, we, we worry about actions. He's after the, at the root attitude, the root belief system. The wrong perspectives that we carry, that we through that we, we read things through the lenses of our own woundedness and our own past experiences and come to wrong conclusions. Those are the things God is after. And it's in intimacy, in the secret place, in prayer, that God begins to unveil those things to our heart. Begins to dismantle the strongholds, the twisted belief system that the enemy has taken so much time to, to build into our life. You know, the root word wicked is also the root word for wicker and wicca, witchcraft. Wicker is taking branches, small branches, and soaking them and then twisting them in unnatural ways. They don't harvest wicker furniture anywhere. You know, that'd be great. I'll take a, could you plant a sofa over there and we'll just harvest that later? No, it doesn't work. They have to take it and put twist it in unnatural ways. It's one of the primary concepts in the New Testament. Unnatural desires. The enemy is after that which is unnatural. It's wicked. And we get all twisted up in our desires. And the enemy plants these strategies to cause us to grow in the wrong way. And, and the Lord would come and just begin to heal us and begin to show us those things and correct us so that we begin to, begin to grow straight as oaks of righteousness. But we've got to yield to Him. We need His insight. The fact is, we cannot know ourselves aside from God. Only God knows the, the hidden recesses of our heart and the motivations and the, 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 how our past experiences have, have shaped us. And out of that, we build belief systems. We come to conclusions, and often very wrong conclusions. And those wrong beliefs will, deter, will produce wrong behaviors. And then we reap that, and we wonder, God, why aren't you blessing my life? Lord, why did you allow this? But much of what we struggle with is a result of our wrong behavior rooted in our wrong beliefs. And so if we really want to correct our life, we need to dig back and get into those beliefs. And we need the Lord to begin to unravel those things. We have to demolish strongholds. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. We demolish arguments. So what he's telling us is arguments, belief systems, become strongholds, castles of thought, citadels, fortresses that are built one lie at a time, belief upon belief upon belief upon belief until pretty soon the strong man has protection in our life behind the stronghold. The enemy's activity can remain because he's led us into these lies, these wrong conclusions, one upon another, precept on precept, 
wrong beliefs until the enemy can live in our life and occupy land. And the only way to take the strong man is we have to deal with the stronghold. If you really want to get traction in your life, if you really want to be transformed, then you have to be willing to be brutally honest with yourself and you have to have people who will be brutally honest with you. I was sitting with one of the pastors this week and, uh, you know, there's everybody's fasting or, you know, at, I don't know how, what they were fasting or, but we're in and someone walked in the office and they just said very politely, um, I just need to let you guys know one of you needs a breath mint <laughs> because I could smell it when I walked in the room. We're like both grabbing mints, you know? <laughs> And I told him, you're a real friend. <laughs> That's a friend. I don't need someone that is a friend enough that won't tell me that. We need people that will tell us the truth and get to the root of those things so that we can get our place into ourselves into a right standing. Because the more your life is aligned with him, the more he can use you. We said last week that prayer is actually a mutual exchange of requests. We come to God with our requests and he gives us his. And as we deal with the internal, then God begins to use us to change the external through our prayers. But if we resist the internal, Zechariah says this, quoting the Lord says in Zechariah, I will not hear, when they pray, I will not hear them because when I spoke, they would not listen. You see that? This is a relationship here. God wants to speak to us and we want to speak to Him. And it's as we obey Him, as we get our lives in line with Him, that God will get the upper hand. And then when we realize that, when, when we, we have that component as we're, we're in this journey it's not talking about perfection. We're talking about going in the right direction. Okay? We're like, we're, our face is in the right direction. I'm going after holiness. I want God to change me. I want to be transformed. I want to be a man that carries the presence of God. I want to accommodate Him. We're going in the right direction. Then there's this element of fervency. And when we understand the power of prayer... Your authority to utilize it. You know, authority is not power. Power is the ability to produce, to move. It's energy. Energia is one of the Greek words often translated power. But the word we translate authority is exousia. It literally means the right to utilize power. That you are authorized by heaven to release power. And when we realize the power of prayer, then we can begin to use that. We can begin to release that in the earth through prayer. One of the most damaging philosophies in the church today is a theology that says, now, now hold, hold on, hear me out here, okay? Because I'm going to kind of shake some of you. The theology that says God is in control. Well, God is in control, brother. God is in control. God is not in control. He's in charge. And there is a big difference. 
Because God delegated the earth to you. See, there's some people that take that God is in control even further and say that everything that happens was orchestrated by God. I know people that, are, that counsel people when, when a, a little girl is molested and then the, you know, as the, the woman has not dealt with that, she goes into her adult life and her life's a train wreck and, and finally she, she comes for counseling to a Christian counselor and they'll say, well, God had a purpose in that. That is a lie. That is not God. That is contrary to Scripture. And it's attributing to God what Satan did. And it's because they do not have a biblical cosmology. A biblical cosmology demands that there's God, there's man, and in between the two, in the second heaven, trying to mess things up is this fallen being named Satan. And we exist to exert God's will against the kingdom of darkness. We are co-laborers with God. We're collaborators. We collaborate with him. And this thing that says, well, God is in control and everything that happens is the will of God. And he had a purpose behind it. I am not saying that God doesn't turn everything for good. Yesterday was the 23rd anniversary of my little boy's death. He died at four years old. And I posted it on Facebook, a little picture of him just to, you know, because I love my boy. And uh, people are saying, oh, we're praying for you today. So sorry. And I felt bad. I thought, I'm fine. I really am. I know I'm going to see my boy again. But God didn't take my son. It was the, the result of a fallen world. The disease that came in through the fall took my son out. And if we have a faulty theology, we end up attributing to God what Satan did. And then we're left with this dilemma. How do I relate with a God? I, I remember someone sent me a... a, a a grieving card. Two, two people sent me the same card. And it said, and they were, they were, their, their heart was very sincere. I didn't take offense, but I thought, oh my goodness, could you imagine worshiping a God like that? It said, God looked in your garden and saw the loveliest flower, and he wanted it for his garden or for a vase on his throne, you know, whatever, kind of that idea. And so he reached down, he plucked your little baby. And so he could have it for himself. I'm thinking, what a horrendous view of God. Now, I know they were just trying to be, you know, trying to, trying to be comforting. And I understand that. I received it in the heart that it was. But the theology behind it, I thought, found it very disturbing. The fact is, you and I are invested with great authority. And when we understand that our righteousness, our relationship with God, allowing Him, we're going from glory to glory. And as we allow Him to deal with our heart, we talked out of Isaiah 58 last week. If you look at Isaiah 58, the fast that God chooses says, is it, is it only for a day to humble yourselves? No. He's saying, I want to fast to change you permanently. And then He says this. He says, He says, uh, He says, you fast, but you you're, this is the Olson paraphrase. You fast, but you're a jerk to your, your uh, employees. So that doesn't work. Because the way you treat your fellow man will, res- will affect how you're heard in heaven. And so, as we allow God to deal with us, make us more tender, more humble, more kind, more empathetic 
towards others, more helpful, more giving. All of that has everything to do with how our prayers are answered. And so as we allow the Lord to tenderize us during a fast, and we understand the awesome authority given to us, and we understand the urgency of the need, we can pray with fervency. And when we pray with passion, when we allow our heart to be engaged in this thing, God will move in power through your prayers. It is a promise from heaven. But there's two contingencies. Are you yielded to God? Are you heading in the right direction? Not saying you're perfect, but are you headed in the right direction? And are you, is your heart really engaged? Jeremiah put it this way in chapter 29. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Wholehearted pursuit of God. Half-hearted attempts produce half-hearted prayers and half-hearted results. Fasting is a good way for us to engage our hearts. For us to be used by God. For, for our heart to be engaged in God. Begin to leverage us for his kingdom. To create buy-in in our heart. And that's why we need to be fasting and praying people. Because God has given us this tremendous weapon of fasting and intercession. And Heartland, make no mistake about it. God has called this house to be a house of governmental prayer. It is an assignment that he has laid upon us and it is an assignment for which we will give answer before the throne. In Matthew, it's very clear, 11, 12, that there's not only individual judgment at the throne at the end of the age. We're all given answer for our lives. But in some form, some fashion, and I don't know what it looks like because the Bible is not real clear on this, but it alludes to corporate judgments. It says in that day, this city will stand against this other city. Sodom will stand in judgment. I I believe it was against Capernaum. I'm not sure. A city will stand against a city and give witness against it in that day. There are corporate judgments. We, there, there's, it says, in that day, this generation, there'll be a rising up against this generation. Why? Because there are certain assignments given to us as churches, families, churches, cities, nations, and even generations. And are we in tune with what God has for us? The fact is, you are already spending your life on something. Make Sure, it's worth it in light of eternity. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just ask, God, that you would fuel our passion this coming week for intercession. Lord, we want to be used by you. And Lord, I'm asking that you would ignite our hearts Lord, give us a revelation of the authority you've given us and the possibilities of what you can do through us. And Lord, I ask in this final week as we enter into it, Lord, that you'd begin to cut the cords 
of anything that hinders. And let us run after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.